Man, it is a good day to be in church. This is an especially good one today. Man, we're so glad those of you who are joining us online. Can we give a big hand to our Branchville facility guys? Good morning, gentlemen. I loved hearing Josh's story. Before I get into today's message, there's so much to go through today that I'm going to be talking like rapid fire all morning. Uh, but before we get into that, we are the cornbread, mac and cheese, and corn, canned corn church for the Evansville Rescue Missions Gobbler Gathering. So next week, we need you to bring back those items to help us fulfill our duty in helping this and joining churches and nonprofits around the city uh, to be a part of that. So do us, if you don't want to go out and shop, just go to hillschurch.info. You can click the Gobbler Gathering there and Amazon that junk straight over to them and never have to pick up a can or do anything like that. That's my style of shopping. How many of you, I, I lied, that's not true. I love going shopping. How many of you like to go in stores still? All right. How many of you that get over the store or you like it? That's me. Walmart at midnight is my jam. Makes me feel like I'm back in Florida. People have dressed, not sure where they're going. Things are looking up. That's me. So today, man, we are in a kind of a revised version of Take the Hills over the next five weeks called Daring Faith, where we're not only going to catch you up with where we're at because it's really exciting, but we want to remind you of our vision, our values, and what we're doing. We know that we exist to win, train, and send the Midwest for Jesus. We want to celebrate something big this morning because just last January, we had Commitment Sunday where we had $2 million committed to Take the Hills, okay, just towards the building fund. Now, I want to tell you right where we're at with two months left, okay, let me show you this, guys. Let me show you where we're at right now. Go ahead and put that up, fellas. 732348 has come in already. Come on, that's incredible. That is not tithes and offerings. That is above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings. That is what has come in already. Now, what we've been doing slowly but surely and what we will do over the next five weeks is we will show you things that you have never seen in the building before, right? Because we've been hiding things from you on purpose to get you excited when you finally came back, right? So we're going to show you a piece today. How many of you know that we love children here at the Hills, that like your children are a top priority to meet, Right? Not just my own children. One of the ways I, I had lunch with an elder on, on Thursday, and one of the things we talked about was the future of our church. I was like, when we hand this over to the next guy, okay, I'm not that old, but when we do, right, I want it primed and ready that every church is looking to us going, how did they reach that many children and students? So in the small space that we have, we were trying to figure out what's something unique that we can do that will draw people all week long to come see the building. So we challenged our team, we challenged our designers, we challenged ourselves, and we came up with this plan that was not in the building plans and is not in the plans that you see out there. We've been hiding it from you. So to the three, four, and five-year-olds, the most energetic group in our entire church, we built something, the most expensive piece of equipment that we purchased is put in this room. We bought a four-story, enormous indoor playground, and we glassed it in. Show it us. 
in this building for those three, four, and five-year-olds. Now, what you don't realize about this space, keep that up there for just a second, guys, is during the week, okay, the way it's designed, if you can see the front there, there's a garage door on the front side that, that just opens up on the front side and closes it off from the rest of the classroom. That means during the week, you can come sit in our cafe, do your work, bring your kids, let them play there any time during the week because our building will be open for you to hang out at any point. Next week, you're going to get to hear the cafe company that we have struck a deal with to be in the building. So we're not going to be running this. We got the real deal coming into our building, okay, to be open five days a week. Can you say that's pretty incredible, right? When we showed this to the design team that has been helping us redo everything and some of the new things you're going to see at the church, they told us we were the first church that ever used branding to help design a playground. They're like, man, you guys think about everything. And when your kid shows up on Sunday morning, they are not going to want to leave. Okay? When your husband shows up on Sunday morning, in a few weeks you're going to hear something that we did for him. He's never going to want to leave. I can just tell you, okay, that there's no bar in town that will show as many NFL games as we will, and we will end on time for you to see them. So you'll be like, your, your wife will be like, we need to go, and you'll be like, no, now you're staying until 3.30 when this bad boy ends. You got me here, now we're staying until 3.30, right? But that's not all, man. We are... On our way, this building is not the end of what we're doing. It is the beginning of what we're doing, right? We sat down, Dave and I, and we said our goal from the beginning was to build a gift, the largest gift to the city of Evansville that it's ever had, a community center that is absolutely free and open to the public every day of the week. And so this building, the one that you see when you see us showing all these videos, was designed to convert easily into gymnasiums and a kid's park and all kinds of things as we add more pieces to it so that that part becomes a huge community center that is just free to the public. Come on, we're thinking about our community all the time. So then we didn't put anything in there that wasn't easy to tear down. So we put it up so that we could tear it down inside. The outside stays intact. You're like, Pastor Drew, we haven't even moved in and you're thinking about another building? Yes, because I don't want to leave the next pastor that has to come after me with all the work. I want him just to be able to take off. And I want every one of us in here to be 10 years, 15 years from now going, we did all the work to set up the next generation to take off. We want our ceiling to be their floor. Right? Does that make sense? Do you understand the difference, right? You don't have to clap for everything. It's not that good this morning. So the next five weeks, we're going to talk about having daring faith. If you have your Bible or Bible app, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. You're going to get an overload of the Bible today, and I want to give it to you because it's really good. There's an Old Testament story about a guy who almost didn't get what he needed because he didn't have daring faith. And it's important over the next five weeks as I walk through these principles myself over the next five weeks that we have daring faith. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Now Naaman was a commander 
of the army of the kings of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosies. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, the king of Abram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took from the king of Israel read, With this letter I'm sending with you my servant Naaman to you that you may cure him of leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's starting, how he's trying to start a quarrel or a fight with me? Then this, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent a message to him, why have you torn your robes? Like just kind of like, why would you do this? Have the man come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would have surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cured me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers in Damascus, much better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have washed in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Rage. <laughs> Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more so when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today's word. I thank you for every heart and life that's going to be changed through it. Speak through me and to me today as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry. I'm kind of dying up here. The problem with Naaman starts at the very beginning, right? He thinks for just a second, he gets, he, he, it's a good thing that he's the commander of the army. It, it, it's really good, right? He's got, he's got the commander thing going for him. He's had a lot of victories going for him. It's like being a senior pastor. There, there's good things, right? It's like being the boss at work. There's good things happening, right? Any situation in where you are in charge or something is big, we tend to overthink and overgrow who we actually are. And then sometimes it gets in the way of daring faith. Gets in the way of who we really are. You know, I might have shared this story a hundred times, so here goes 101. But when I was an intern at a church a long time ago, 20 plus years ago at this time, a very, very, very famous speaker, author, came to speak at our church. And uh, at that time, I was in charge of the parking lot, and he was running late. The parking lot at our church was full. 
we had an overflow lot about a quarter of a mile away. And the cops had already told me, don't you dare put another person on your property. So I said, okay. Well, this guy pulls up his car, screaming at me like it flies up so fast, he jumps out of the car, and he's like, where do I park? I was like, at Sam's. It's down the road about a quarter of a mile. And he's like, he pops out of the car. He's like, do you not know who I am? And he tells me his name. I'm not going to repeat it. He's like, I'm such and such. I was like, well, I'm Daryl Marin. And he's like, where am I supposed to park? I was like, well, crazy, even though you told me your name, nothing opened up here. You still got to go to Sam's. So he becomes irate and throws his keys at me and goes inside. So do I do. I take his car, I drive it to Sam's, and I park it in the furthest spot I could possibly find. At the end of service, he's having a book signing. One of his most famous books had just come out, and he's having a book signing. Well, he finds out that I'm also his pen boy. So now he's annoyed that I am handing him his pens because he will only sign a book three times with the same pen, then he makes me go and check it again before I hand it back to him. So I'm sitting there for almost an hour and 45 minutes as he's signing, and every three times I'm taking the pen and being like, well, it still worked. I just watched you do it, so I can do it over here if you need me to. And at the end, everybody who purchased these books are paying $25 a pop, and he's like, would you like a free copy of the book? And I was like, no. I don't believe you've read the book. And he's like, well, where's my car? I was like, funny story about your car. It's at Sam's. And he's like, okay, well, how do we get there? I was like, buses stopped running an hour ago. He's like, well, how do we get there? I was like, we walk. And so we walk quietly together all the way out to his car. Now he knows because he has seen that there are parking spots closer at the front of this. And it's kind of awkward because we get to the first spot of Sam's and now he's in the last one, like almost behind the building. And he's like, hey, can I ask you a question? Did we get off on the wrong foot? I said, no, we didn't get off on anything. You got off on the wrong foot. You came here thinking you were bigger than you ought to think. I didn't say that to him, but that's what I thought in my head. And I have run into him several times since, and he recognizes me still to this day. <clears throat> and we tell different perspectives of the same story. And what happened is, is, is Naaman gets a little too big for his britches in this story. He kind of forgets who he is, and at some point... There's a little girl who's a slave girl. She's been captured and she's been taken a slave and she's brought into the situation and she's like, if my master would just go see the prophet, then when he goes and sees the prophet, God can change his life. And what happens is, is maybe, just maybe some of us get too big and we expect God to do things a certain way. And when he doesn't do them a certain way and he does them too simply or just one act of obedience, we go, that can't possibly be God. 
let me tell you something. Either we continue to have childlike faith or God will put us in a position where we need it. How many of you, I've said this a million times, everybody wants a miracle. They don't want to be in a position where they need one. But they all want one. They just don't want to be there. You know, he had leprosy. I don't know if God gave it to him. I don't know if he gave it to himself. I don't know if he was in place and got it from somebody else. We don't know how he ended up with leprosy. All we know is that Naaman had somebody in his life who was willing to tell him how to cure himself of it, and we go to find out he doesn't like it, right? Naaman demonstrated pretty good faith up to this point because he shows up at the man of God's house, and I don't know if he had been watching a bunch of televangelists or doing his own deal, but he expects a different result. He shows up to Elijah's house, and Elijah doesn't even come outside. Elijah sends word to him and says, hey, you should go dip yourself in the river Jordan, Jordan seven times. And this is where he gets annoyed because it sounds too easy. And this is what it says. A man thought he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord. And I'd be cured. He'd wave his hand over me, it says. A common mistake is this. All of us have this problem when it comes to daring faith. We believe God is too powerful to be so simple. Sometimes we believe that God is so powerful that it can't possibly be simple. That's why it's important to have childlike faith. So I want to talk through three points of what daring faith looks like. Daring faith looks like God power, not manpower. God's power, not manpower. We see in verse 2 it says, now, bands of raiders of Aram had come and gone out and taken a captive, a young girl from Israel. She served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Let me tell you why children are so important. Where do you think this young girl grew up that she knew that knowledge? She grew up in the equivalent to church. This young girl, who is a slave at this point, has enough faith in her God to not only speak against their gods, but to go up to her mistress and challenge her whole way of life and go, if he really wants to be healed, he will do this. How many of you won't even raise your voice because you're afraid to offend somebody? We're afraid to offend people, so we're like, the cool thing in modern-day culture is not to offend anybody. Let me tell you something. If you talk about Jesus, it will offend somebody, and you still have to do it. This young girl is putting her life on the line. She is written about in the Bible, and like I said, the Bible doesn't write anybody in that's not necessary. So it's God's power, not manpower. She goes up using God's power. He's mad because he's not getting the reception. He's not getting the welcome that he wants from Elijah. He wants this miracle, this big God promise to come down. And he goes away angry. And we notice that Elijah doesn't go out of his house. Now, let me help you understand why Elijah doesn't even go outside to meet him. Back in the Old Testament, if somebody who was unclean, meaning they had leprosy or disease, if a prophet or somebody were to go out there to speak to them or minister to them, they would, themselves would become unclean. 
So Elijah's not being rude. He's actually helping through the door. He's giving drive-through service. And he's helping this person out. And here's what happens. When Naaman doesn't understand that, that he just gets so frustrated, he goes on his journey. He's like, well, God surely works in much bigger ways. Right? Have you ever seen a submarine underwater? I mean, like the big ones that the Navy builds. Those things are so massive and so impressive. All the technology that goes into that submarine so it can dive down so deep. Do you know what the submarine does when it gets down there? It runs into little fish who can do it without the technology. Why? Because one was God-born and the other one was man-born. Man-born is much bigger. It looks much more impressive, but God-born looks very simple. And it does incredible things. We still can't figure out how that fish does that. He's like, hey, get out of my way. Right? That's why simpleness should not be a disqualifying act of God's greatness. God's power often lines up with simple, but we look over it. The second thing of daring faith is found in simple obedience. Elijah sends him a very simple request. You can be healed of leprosy or you can die of leprosy, but what you have to do is go to the River Jordan and dip yourself seven times. Now, we know that the seven is a number of perfection. And he gets irritated. He barks back. He's like, aren't there more beautiful rivers in my home? Right? Just to give you context, they were in Israel. He was in Syria. He worked for the king of Syria. That's where the king of Aram stood. He's the king of Syria. And he's mad that he's being asked to do this simple thing. And see, that happens a lot of times, man, our reaction to simple obedience can be the very thing that holds us back from daring faith. Many times it sounds too simple, so we, we walk away from it. Elijah didn't tell him something that was wrong. He didn't tell him anything that was anti-spiritual. Sometimes the best thing we can do is partner with God and just listen. Just sit back and go, you know what? It's not too simple. I know that. If I told you right now the fastest way to look like a Christian in modern-day society that would reach your friends and your family the fastest. If I told you the two quickest ways, many of you will, number one, be offended when I say them and then won't apply them after I say them. But here are the two fastest ways you can do it. This principle is found in the Bible many times. Give 10% of everything you own to Jesus. That's the first one. The second thing is this, stop having sex outside of marriage. You will be so set apart from the world, people will ask you, why are you doing that? Those sound like simple ask. I don't want to take a poll. I don't want to cry. If I'd be like, how many of you are applying both of those into your life? They sound simple. We all make fun of the rich man 
who comes with all his possessions. And Jesus goes, he goes, how do I follow you? And he says, sell everything you have and follow me. And you're going, oh, I would have done that. I would have done that in half. Jesus isn't even asking for everything you have. Give 10% of everything you have to Jesus. Stop sleeping with people outside of marriage, and you will be so counterculture to what we live in right now, you will stick out like a sore thumb. The second thing is if you want to transform your personal life through simple obedience, so that's how you reach your friends and your neighbors. You do those first two because you'll look crazy. They'll be like, you give your money to church. That's so stupid. Church says use money to do all these things. I was like, whatever. I don't even argue with people who tell me that anymore. Like we help more people than we help ourselves. You find me a church that doesn't start with Deaconess Baptist, Jewish Center, health care. You know what I'm saying? We've been doing it for a long time. You want to change your personal life, this is what you do. Okay? Pray for 30 minutes a day and read for 30 minutes a day. That will change your spiritual life forever. It's simple obedience. But we don't want to do simple obedience. Why? Because it challenges our faith. You want to have daring faith, you're going to have to do some simple obedience things in order to make it happen. So finally, Naaman gets so irritated, he goes and does what he does. He comes back. He is now healed, and this is where we find him. Okay? We find Naaman's perspective has changed. Right, and we see it here in verse 15. It says, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He's been healed. He's dipped in the river seven times. Now he's on his way back. He stood before them and said, now I have come to know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. The prophet Elijah says, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Even though Naaman urged him, he refused it. If you will not, said Naaman, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth, this is so important, so much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God. He comes in serving one God. He leaves serving another. And he's so dedicated to the God he's found that he literally takes the earth with him. He's taking sand on his vacation back so that he can build a sand to remember what his God has done for him. What act of simple obedience is God asking you to do? Is it to say you're sorry to somebody? That could be an act that could change somebody's life. It might change your spouse's life if you just admitted to something. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship with your family member that you're like, I can't forgive them. I can't move on, and God is urging me to, and I'm like, do it. Yeah, but you don't understand. I do understand. God is calling you to daring faith, which means you're going to have to step out and do it. Maybe he's asking you to ask for help. You don't want to ask for help. Your pride gets in the way. Ask for help. Sometimes we want to help as a church. We just don't know because you don't tell us. We have resources to help you to step in. We have the counsel and we have the people. We have the knowledge. And we just don't know. Ask 
for help. A simple act of obedience can change your life forever and will develop some daring faith in your life. You're like, Pastor Darrell, it doesn't change people's lives that easily. Simple obedience doesn't change people's life. Having childlike faith doesn't give you daring faith. And I would tell you that it does. I would tell you that if you just saw for a moment what it takes to make a decision when Jesus asks you a specific question. Naaman isn't the only person who gets asked a direct question when he wants different answers. In John chapter 5, we see a man sitting outside of the pool of Bethesda. I've been there. He's been hurt for years, and he's just waiting for the water to sparkle so he can throw himself in, and the first person to get in would be healed. And I'm going to show you a clip this morning where Jesus shows up on the scene and asks a tough question. Let's show that, guys. Shalom. Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You only need me. 
want to be healed. So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. I just love that scene. Simple faith equals daring faith. The man was asking all the wrong questions. Jesus just asked, do you want to be healed? And he kept telling Jesus all the reasons why he couldn't. My question to you today is threefold. First, you must accept Jesus so that you can have life change. Then you need to let Jesus' power transform you. Many of you have done the first two. Then it's time to turn around and invest in the mission of Jesus. Win, train, send. Now you get the mission. Now you understand why we say it so simply. But many of us struggle with the daring faith part. I remember this young lady sitting right here a year ago almost, praying, God, I want to be pregnant. And it wasn't working, and it wasn't working, her and her husband. I remember one day God speaking to my heart I said, I'm, I'm going to join with you. God can do all things, but not through lack of faith, but through daring faith, putting yourself out there. See, I'm not the healer. I'm not the miracle worker. I'm the guy who believes in him. I'm not the reason Jesus does anything. I'm not the water that people feel. I'm the person who believes in daring faith. It was so beautiful just a few weeks ago, not too long ago, her husband catches me in the parking lot at a youth night and goes, hey, 
we're having a baby. And I'm going, I'm going, that didn't have anything to do with me. That didn't have anything to do with you. Well, maybe a little something to do with you. But your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Your daring faith is a reason we're going to see uh, a gender reveal online. It's not, they're not going to have a big one because she doesn't like attention, so this is killing her right now. What's it going to take for you to have daring faith? I don't want to be here five years from now if we can't reach this city. I don't want to be here worried about the government. The elections in eight days that I have put no, zero of my faith in those people, in any one of them. My faith is in every person here, and our faith collectively is in Jesus. And I don't want to wait to heaven to make a difference. Once you get to heaven, you don't get to make a difference. Your difference time is over. So if you're going to have daring faith, you've got to do it now. While you're here, we've got to build a better place for our children now. We've got to leave Evansville in the Midwest with more Christians now. Why? Because our time will come and go. And if you wait until you think you have the resources or the time, it is too late. You have to invest, you have to let Jesus change your life, and you have to live like nobody else. So today, my questions are this. Do you need Jesus to change your life? Then let him do that. If you know that Jesus has forgiven you, have you allowed his spirit to transform your life? If not, let him do that. And if you've done the first two, now it's time to get critically involved in the mission of Jesus. Invest in the mission of Jesus, not just financially, with your feet, with your time, with your actions. You don't have to tell me how hard it is to work with students. You don't have to tell me how hard it is to work with children. I know I've been doing it a long time. But there is not one child in our entire office, there is not one student in our entire office that when they come on that place that doesn't know that they are loved and we love them no matter where they're at and that's not changing. And the same thing for every adult. And if we got hold of that and we lived differently than everybody else because we decided that we were gonna give 10% of everything we own to the mission and we stopped sleeping with people who aren't our spouse, we would be so counterculture that lives would just start to change because people would want to go, what is different about you? And all you could say is I serve an incredible God who gives me more than I could ever ask or imagine. And it might not be in possessions, but you know what? When all of you are worried about who's being elected and all of you are freaking out about this, I go to bed every night with peace in my heart going, I've done everything I could do 
to change the world around me. I've done everything humanly possible to change people's lives. And that's why we exist. We're not here just to make heaven people. We're here to change the world we live in. And I'm going to do it in my lifetime. And I'm going to do it with the people of this city. And we're going to do it through people having daring faith. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, today I just pray for every person in this room. God, those that need daring faith, that they begin to get it. They begin to get inspired to change. God, I pray that you start transforming every one of us in our hearts and in our lives. God, and those who have done the first two, Lord, I pray with everything inside of me that we begin to invest like never before into the mission and the vision of what you have stood before us so that we can change the city of Evansville. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Do you believe that this morning?